0: Bibles and open them with me please to the book of Nehemiah I lied sorry Nehemiah we're going to Nehemiah book of Nehemiah we literally we took a helicopter and preached through Nehemiah. If, how many noticed that last week? And I, I, it wasn't justice <laughs> to be sure. Let me get my glasses. <clears throat> so I asked the elders, we had an elders meeting this last week, and I asked them if it was alright if I preach through what I didn't get to preach through last week. Basically, we introduced it, we gave you the sense of the meaning. how many understood what Nehemiah is about, with that fast blow through the book? This morning, I want to there are things that we missed. It, it, you could not get everything in that text, and we're not going to get everything today. But Lord willing, I'll be able to help you with some very important truths as we go through the text of this passage of Scripture that we were unable to last week so Nehemiah I want you in chapter 1 I'll read verse 1 and then we'll get going on the sermon at hand the words of Nehemiah the son of Hekali now it happened in the month of Shilvah in the 12th year while I was in Susa the capital Hanani one of my brothers and some of the men from Judah came And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now, if you do not know the historical content of this book, you need to go to last sermon's message and listen to it. I do not have time to go through all that. But you can gain it back there. Verse 4 is where the sermon begins. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, I'm not comparing in the least bit Jerusalem and America. But I will tell you this. His city that is special to His God, the city of Jerusalem, had been burnt and destroyed. And when He heard of the devastation, what it looked like still that day. What did he do? He prayed. He wept. And he prayed. Nehemiah had a heart for Jerusalem. Would you agree with that? It's obvious. Nehemiah had a heart for God. Was it obvious? Absolutely. The very foundational motivation of a relationship with that God is a love for Him, and as a result, a desire to please Him in all that He did. Is that not the same with us? When we go to work, when we go to church, when we go to play, wherever we are, if we are not motivated with the love of God, He is out of the picture. Oh, my friend, He should never be out of the picture. And with Nehemiah, he was forefront in the picture. Everything that we do must be motivated with that relationship with God that is all loving Him, pleasing Him. I would dare say today we have the same issue going on. How many of you love this country? How many of you love our God? I would say I pray that your love of God is greater than the love of country. But there's nothing wrong and we should love God and love our country. Amen. Problem is, what are we doing about it? You see, if we are motivated by self-pleasing, then we look at this country as, as is going to hell and say, I'll just separate myself from it and have nothing to do with it because it's all about me. If it's about people-pleasing, well, I'll be out there and be kind to people that are kind. But I don't want to be around anybody else and I'm going to put down the president because he's not on my side and I'm going to destroy and talk bad about these guys and just, that's people pleasing. It's not God pleasing. You see, we're in the same predicament that Nehemiah is in, in a sense, Amen. And our motivations are self and peoples and what we look like on the outside, but are ravening wolves on the inside. When we're really, we, we should be and here's the reality: are we praying for our country? Are we fasting for our country? Are we relational with God, pleading him for the nonsense that has been seen in this country? Are we that's all Nehemiah did? well, so far, his first response was to pray. Is it not true that usually that's our last response? We think we can do it. we think we can take it on ourselves we can we can get enough people to vote him in. maybe. We think we can take it on ourselves and pull our own selves up by our own bootstraps. Let me tell you, we are not God. And are nothing without Him. You see, there is a God and we, you can finish it, are not Him. We must rely on God. Do you know the rare reason that you are breathing this morning is God Almighty is keeping all things together. At one time, He is going to stop. but we need to rely on the lord but we 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 got enough money in the bank we've got enough invested into our 401k we've got a nice car we've got a nice building we've got this we got that what do we need god for oh my friend is that not exactly where we as christian americans are today we've lost sight that we do need him and we are so worldly focused were no heavenly good. That is not the case with Nehemiah. This man lived in the palace of the king of kings at that time in history. That man was the poison drinker for for the king. That man had it easy. That man had it well. If anybody was to be materialistic, there's a reason to be. But he did it. What did he do? Fasted and prayed. Number one, Nehemiah had a heart for God and a heart for Jerusalem. question is, do we have a heart for God and the people that God has called us to? Because Grand Rapids and Wapaka are the people that God has called us to to serve them. Are we? Or are we focused on self? Nehemiah wasn't. Nehemiah fasted and prayed. Verse 5, And I said, now he's going to talk about his prayer, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, can you please help me with this problem? I want to see Jerusalem fixed. I want to see the golden gates back up. I want to be able to worship you like I want to. Oh, hold it. Is that what it says? Does anybody see anything like that in the text? How many see that in our prayer meetings all the time? There's nothing wrong of giving our, our, our needs to the Lord. But Jesus, God Almighty, is not Santa Claus, nor should we treat him as such. He is God. And what does Nehemiah do? I mean, his, his whole world is crumbled, has crumbled in Jerusalem. All his worship and all the religion he knows is gone. And what does he say? Oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commands. Number three, so we found that Nehemiah had a heart for God. We find, secondly, that he responded immediately in prayer. And number three, Nehemiah understood and lived in a place of awe of our great God. God was in his face, in his heart, in his hands, in his feet. God totally saturated his life. Because in the deepest hour that he was in, he did not focus on himself and his needs. He focused on God and his greatness. Wow! What a truth! Deer hunting has commenced. And I can almost guarantee you that a lot of prayers have been set from the stand. And it wasn't how great God is it's how I still don't have a deer. Can you please help me? Is that not true? We focus on ourselves. Not Nehemiah. Nehemiah understood and lived in a place of awe of our great God. He did not complain about his own situation. He did not cry at his own plight. The number one thing out of his mouth was how great merciful, awesome, sovereign is our God. That was the first words out of his mouth. Then he goes on. Let your ear now be attentive in your eyes. And I just This is so awesome. Just for a second. As I read this prayer, notice how many times he says I and concerned about himself. Notice it. Verse 6. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on the behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments nor the statuses nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you've commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remotest parts of heaven, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I beseech you that, that, that may your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servants and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. There is one place that he says... For your name's sake, make your servant successful today. That is the only request he asked. Do you see that? Otherwise, this verse is full of how great you are. And we are just pawns to you. We are your servants. We are your, your slaves, if you will. Your people. But your power. your Do you see all the yours and how great? It's all about him. Would that prayer ever be prayed in our churches today? Look at this prayer. In all these verses, he constantly is referring with great respect how great and powerful God and how is and how wicked and sinful Israel is. Although Nehemiah does not ask for help, he does not focus on the plight of the people, but on the stain of, on God's name. Do you see that? This is about you. This isn't about us. There's a stain on your name. There is a reproach, and that reproach is the walls are gone. And that's a reproach against your name. It's not all at all like our prayer requests when we have a mile-long list of ills we want fixed. But this is a mile-long list saturated with the attributes and sovereignty of God. <laughs> Verse 4, then he ends it. With now, I was a cup and I talked to you last week. This is so important because he says, "I'm just a carpenter. I'm just a Walmart guy. I'm just an excavator. I'm just a contract. Whatever. I this. I'm praying, and I'm a nobody." Verse chapter one. We're going to read verses one through six, and then we'll spend quite a bit of time on this one. It came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. That wine was before him, and he took the glass of wine and gave it to the, to the king. Now I had not been sad in my presence. He was hiding it. So the king said to me, and I talked about this last week, Why is your face sad, though you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Man, he can see right through me. Actually, it was God giving, Nehemiah is giving God credit for this. Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God. I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servants has found favor before you, send me to Judah. Did you see what he just did? He just prayed. And now he says, Send me to Judah. Is there any passage of Scripture that talks about people that say, I'll pray for you. be filled. See ya. That's not Nehemiah. When you hear of people that are, are in need of something food or beverage or drink or clothes, I'll pray for that, brother. Hey, can we take that bag of stuff to the goodwill? Do you see the disconnect? How many see? It's, 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 come a, it's, it's a cliche that should be stopped, to be honest with you, if you're not serious. How many understand that? He doesn't do that. He says, <clears throat> send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. He's a stinking poison drinker. What does he know about building a wall? What does he know about getting monies and organizing? And, and How does he know any of that stuff? I'm going to get this. You see, he prayed for help. Then, here's the answer. God answers his prayer. How does he answer his prayer? God answers his prayer by the king saying, Hey, What's wrong with you? How can I help you? If Nehemiah was in church, Christian church today and acted like a Christian guy today, it would be, oh, kid, do you know anybody knows how to build walls? Because they can go do this. Right? <laughs> uh, do you have any, you have a bunch of soldiers, you just want to wreck that thing for us? No, he recognized that hey, God has a plan for me. He has a vocation, a calling he wants me to fulfill. How many see that? He's got a job. Why would this happen? Only by God. So he says, "Send me to Judah." Then the king said to me, the king sitting beside him, "How long will the journey be and what will you return? When will you return? So please the king to send me." I gave him a definite plan. Nehemiah not only prayed that God would take care of it, but became the answer to his own prayer. Do you see that? He became the answer to his own prayer. It's not like, hey, please pray for Joe, my neighbor, that he'll get saved. And you walk outside, Joe had just broken his leg. And he's walking in the door. I just prayed for you, brother. I know there's a foot of snow, but just prayed for you. See ya. say, well, that's ridiculous. It's real. We need to put our actions where our mouth is. And the reason we don't put our actions where our mouth is, is because our hearts were in line with our mouth. Because if our hearts were in line with our mouth, the actions would take place. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, his motivation and your motivation comes from right here. And if you don't love others and you don't love God, you ain't going to help. And you'll say you pray. Why? To look good. How many times do we pray for something, for someone hoping that God will use someone else to deal with it? I'll say it again because that really hits it. How many times do we pray for someone hoping that God will use someone else to deal with that someone? Our conversations with an unbeliever start to, to head down the religious path and we ask God to bring someone to talk to him. Oh, whoa, 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 Dear Lord, bring someone to help him out. You were right there. (laughs) He already has. You're talking to him. Does trusting God mean turning to prayer and then taking practical action? Which one is it? Is, Is trusting God meaning turning just to prayer or turning to practical action? Which one? It's not hard. Let me ask it this way: Does God want us just to pray, or to pray and serve? It's both. It's both, right? So we've heard it in the, in, in politics in our country. <clears throat> there's a mass shooting, and one political party said, "All you guys do is just sit there and pray about it. We need to do something about it." They're right. We do. If that man would have come to a saving knowledge of Christ, he wouldn't be shooting people. Right? It takes both. See, the last line of Nehemiah 1 identifies him as a cupbearer to the king. This means not only that he had immediate access to the king, as the one who tested and served his beverages, but also that Nehemiah was a trusted advisor. He would use his professional experience as that trusted advisor, especially with his drink, and, and the drink and, I'm sorry, and cup bearing, and be used by God to embark on a job to build the Jerusalem walls. Now, let's go back in history with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, The king has asked if you would like to be his cupbearer. That's a puny little dumb job. I want a real job. I want to be a priest. Did he say that? Well, we don't know if he said it or not, but we know he took the job. Right? He took the job of drinking poison for the king, if need be. God used that job to teach him what he wanted him to do by building the wall in 52 days. Does God think that all work is of him? Answer the question. What do you think? Absolutely. I remember very clearly Dr. Burgraft sitting in class listening to him. He was a He was going to college or seminary, I can't remember which one, but he had a job pulling poop out of the pig farm. How many of you would love that? Hey dad, look what I, I'm a poop puller, (laughs) ha ha! Yuck, are you kidding me? I don't want to get that, my hands dirty. How many people would love that job? Cleaning all the refuse out of a barn. And hundreds of pounds a day because it was that's where they lifted it all the time, right? That's where they had the pigs, growing pigs. He hated it. And his countenance showed he hated it. How many would agree with him and probably do the same thing? The only reason I'm doing that is so that I get money so I can pay the bills and I can become a pastor so the ends justify the means. That's what's going to happen. And it was horrible. Day after day, he just, ugh. Finally, one day, someone or something or the Word of God got a hold of his heart and he said, you know what? This is sin on my part. God has given me this job to serve Him and I need to serve Him. And his countenance changed, his attitude changed, and everybody there loved him. Imagine that. That changed the whole life, that the course of his whole life, to be honest with you. Embrace what God has given you, even if it's about that garbage. Nehemiah did. And God used that uh um uh, being able to get close to the king and, and, and that job that he had, used it for his benefit, in, for God's benefit in this building of the wall. <clears throat> so when the king granted him permission to oversee the rebuilding project, what did he do? He asked for letters of the governors, those who were territory were pass on the trip. What was he doing? In Nehemiah's view, the king granted the request for the gracious hand of God was upon me. Apparently, Nehemiah did not believe that trusting God meant that he should not seek the king's protection for his journey. In other words, okay, I'm going to go across, I don't know, 400 miles of desert crawling with thieves. God's on my side, I'm going to go. No matter what. Instead, now let me ask you, if God called you, to come to Grand Rapids and to, uh, I don't know, rebuild the Walmart store? (laughs) Do something there. And you're like, wow, God did this, God did this, God did this. Yeah, I'm going. And you leave Minneapolis and walk all the way up here. How are you going to get here? Well, God's got it. Listen, God gave him everything he needed right there. There's nothing wrong with asking the king for help, amen? Amen. What is he doing? He's not walking the Christian life in the path on emotions. How many understand this? He's walking the Christian path in the sovereignty of God, understanding God's going to use all these guys to do what he wants because why? He's sovereign. You know, there's probably a party that you hate in politics right now. God is using them for his purposes. He is. It is. And so here's here's Nehemiah. He's he's making use of he's planning ahead. How many of you know that in your lifetime you are gonna talk to an unsaved person that you meet? Raise your hand. Most of you. How many would say, yes, we will? Okay. So we have everybody but the non shakers and the non handers. Okay. Here's the reality. We know we all are. Are you prepared? Or are you just going to wing it? How many get this? He was deliberate. He said, this needs to happen. This, And he plans this whole thing out. Because he wanted to make sure that his emotions weren't the one in charge. Because as soon as, let me tell you this, as soon as Sam Ballack came and argued with him, I know his emotions probably would have went haywire. Right? He deliberately planned this all out. We must be doing the same thing. Too many times Christians wing it and fail miserably. Are you planning to talk to someone in your family about Jesus? How are you going to do that? Write it down. Listen, is that more important than a Jets game today? Is that more important than a deer dead today? Where's your plan? Do you have one? Have you ever had one? It's going to happen. Be ready. I've learned to do this. And there are people that, um, I was just talking to Pat here this last week. And he, he I can't remember what he said. There was this, this, uh, this common misunderstanding of the text that people spew. How many understand that? Just a phrase that they say. That's totally wrong. And, and I said, you know, what I would do is I would come up with a sarcastic little tiny tidbit dealing with this and say, as soon as they say, say that. Why? Because it's going to go back and now they're going to think about it a little bit. Even though they might not like it. But if I get emotional, I want to punch them in the nose. That ain't going to work. Right? Plan. Plan it. That's Okay, I'll give you an example instead of just being uh, covering that illustration. Example is this. And I talked about this, I think, a couple times. When someone says, God told me something, does God ever audibly tell anybody anything apart from Scripture? Yes or no? No. So what are you gonna say? Usually it's a right? Because we don't have something ready to say. How many get this? Someone's going to tell you that eventually, will they not? So what do you say? Well, here's what I say. So you are actually one of the Bible authors? And what do you think they immediately say? No! You just said you were. You know what? They're gonna think twice about doing that the next time. Will they not? Absolutely. We have to be diligent and deliberate and plan ahead. This is exactly what Nehemiah did. Now, it's interesting. He was pleased to have the officers of the army in the Calvary. You think? (laughs) That's helpful. And they escorted him to Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 2. The text of Nehemiah does not suggest there was anything wrong with Nehemiah's decision to seek and accept the king's protection. In fact, it claims that God's blessing accounted for the bit of royal assistance. In fact, it claims that God's blessing accounted... uh, In fact, it it is striking to note that how different Nehemiah's approach to this issue was from Ezra's. Ezra believed that trusting God meant that he should should not ask for royal protection. Nehemiah saw the offer of such protection as evidence of God's gracious hand of blessing. In other words, don't become Amish. Does that make sense? Did you follow that reasoning? Probably not. You have an unsaved friend in Duluth that calls you and says, hey... I want to know about the Lord. Can you help me? Yeah, I can help you. Give me about five days when I walk to Duluth. Because God's going to get me there. He just made all this happen. God gave you a car. I'll be right there. Hang on. How many get it? It's not wrong using those things. It's not at all wrong. God has blessed in many ways. This is one of them. By the way, this disagreement with how Ezra and Nehemiah both approached it demonstrates how easy it is for godly people to come from diff- to come to different conclusions about what is meant to trust God in their work. Now here's the cool thing about this. We find signs in several places that Nehemiah was what we could call a pragmatic believer. Nehemiah secretly surveyed the rubble of the former wall. Do you remember when he did that? He went and checked out what it's going on. Secretly. He didn't tell anybody. Apparently he wanted to know the size and scope of the work he was taking on before he publicly committed to doing it. Yet, after explaining the purpose of his coming to Jerusalem and pointing to God's gracious hand upon him, When some local officials mocked and accused him, Nehemiah answered him, God of heaven is the one who will give us success. It's not about me. Let me ask you, if he was motivated by self, Sam Ballot and Tobiah and all those guys would have totally discouraged him. But instead, he was like, let's see what God does. I can't wait to see. Do you see the different attitudes? Here's another issue on this subject. What did Ezra? Was Ezra called by God? Yes or no? How many know we are Bible? Ezra was called by God? Yes, yea or nay. Yes. Ezra is called to rebuild the temple, yea or nay. Oh, what a high calling to have religious work, right? Was it a high calling? Absolutely. Was it religious work? Absolutely. Did they rebuild the temple? Yes, they did. Now we're on phase two, if you will. It's actually phase three, but phase two we'll call it. Did Nehemiah have a high calling? Was Nehemiah's calling just as important as Ezra's calling? Yes or no? Yes or no? Here's the question listen carefully, was Nehemiah's calling what we would consider a religious calling to build walls? Not at all. You tell me which was more important, Ezra's or Nehemiah's? Can anybody tell me that which is more important? To God, both are important. And he charged Nehemiah to build the wall and drink poison. And that was super important to God and he fulfilled his task. There is no difference between now and then with our God. Just because it's a religious thing doesn't make it more important. Do we get this? The wall is extremely important. It's so important. What do we find out? It's so important that priests, Levites, and others came and worked on it. What about their religious? I mean, they can't get their hands dirty, can they? Oh, actually, they got them really dirty. How many understand what I'm talking about? Does anybody understand? I got too much in my mind that I'm not explaining everything. There is a huge difference between the cleity and the laity today. It's huge. And it's found right here not to be true. There's this huge... You're not a pastor? Well, my, my father-in-law was at conference two years ago at 360. And this man came up to him and started talking to him. And it was like, oh yeah, this is cool. I get to talk to a bigwig, Right? And then he asked, what church do you pastor? Oh, I'm not a pastor. His countenance changed and he turned around and left. We have a problem in our churches. Let me ask you this, when's the last time you saw anybody take their Bible, go up to the janitor and say, hey, can you sign my Bible? they're meaningless, right? What has the church become? What I just said would be exactly what took place here. How many of you would like Nehemiah's signature in your Bible? Are you kidding? That was worldly work. See, God uses every one of you in your particular field to get things done for His glory. All work can be good. All work as a Christian must be to God. leaders of local peoples attempted to hinder the Jewish effort through ridicule. But guess what? The Bible says the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. Even the priests worked. They got off their high horse, if you will. Not that they did, I don't know, but in our culture they got down off of the suit and and you know i'm religious and i'm the pastor so i'm the most important and all that garbage they got on their clothes and they went out and they worked on the wall peace peace priests were building the burnt up wall Woo! how many that's awesome they got their hands dirty This is what God wants. This is what we're going to do. They all got together. Do you know today, many pastors won't lift up. Matter of fact, I just had a pastor. I just had an elder. I called a friend of mine who's an elder in out west. And I went through what my paper is about. And he was like, brother, that's how he said it too. (laughs) Brother, oh, do I get it. I think he said, I saw a pastor come into a bathroom and he wouldn't even touch the toilet to replace the wax ring. Wanted nothing to do it. It was beneath him. Is that a problem? To be honest with you, that can become... uh, How can I say this? A pastor should be able to get out and get his hands dirty and he better do it. I think a pastor should be sitting alongside you in a truck once in a while. Standing out out with a shovel once in a while. Up on a roof, right Jake? (laughs) With shingles once in a while. He's just one of us. All the elders, amen? We all are serving the Lord together. Now, it can be a habit of pastors to do all physical labor and nothing in the Word. That is sinful also. Amen? A pastor's job is to study the text of the Word. I was going to lift up a Bible and I know... Uh, I, well, Erwin uh, um, Lutzer's not watching, so I will. <laughs> he He got up this week again and said, My friends, this is not a Bible. (laughs) It is, it's got the Bible in it. Mm. And uh, he wants, you know, that real calf bound Bible is what he's thinking of. But, folks, that is the job of the pastor. A pastor teacher in a church, his main responsibility is to study and preach the word, period. That is his job. And if he fails at that, fire him. I mean it. Fire him. There is no other way a church will grow. There is no other way to please God without a pastor preaching the text of the Word that he studied the whole week. Amen? But at the same time, a pastor can get out there and start working with his hands too. Just like these guys did. We Christians sometimes seem to act as if there were a rigid wall between actively pursuing our own agenda and passively waiting for God to act. There is not only that wall, so what is that wall? That's prayer and work, right? Prayer and practicality, but there's another wall. I can say it this way, we Christians sometimes seem to act as if there is a rigid wall between clergy and and laity. And the laity, the only reason they're around is to support the clergy, which is the most important jobs in the world. Do you know what that's called? Stupid. It is. It's certainly not biblical, it's dead wrong. Nehemiah, how many would say, after looking at Nehemiah? Well, duh. Yeah, right? Of course not. So there are times, I just don't know how much to do because I'm running out of time. And we will be done this week. And I do apologize for lying last week. Let's get going down to number six. Verse 7 says, And I said to the king, if it please the king, let the letters he's writing all this. Nehemiah planned ahead of time. We find that out. Verse 10, there was always, there will always be detractors and enemies within the church. How many would agree with that? We're called lordshippers in this town. We're called seriousness guys in this town. I was with a family one time and they said, yeah, our pastor said to go there because you do not shy away from uh, what kind of controversial issues. I said, no, I preach on them all the day. Absolutely. How can you not? If it's in the text, it's getting preached. I'm not just going to, you know what? Eleven's, here's, when I first came to Grand Rapids, There was a church. I talked to the pastor. He said, yeah, we don't preach revelation. Why? It's too controversial, so we just don't deal with it. (laughs) What? What are you thinking? What happens to the whole counsel of God? Amen. But there will always be detractors, always be enemies within the church. And if our eyes are off of God, it's going to be like hell. But folks, when our eyes are focused and our hearts are yearning for the sovereignty of God, you're just sitting back like the Moravians coming over from... Right? Remember class? The Moravians coming over. Lord, help us get here. And they were freaking out. No, they weren't freaking out. John Wesley was freaking out. The Moravians were singing carol, singing hymns on their way over as the ship ship they thought was going to sink. Why? The sovereignty of God has practical applications. Amen. Remember the song, Live Like You Were Dying? That song would depict Paul. And he did. Why? God is sovereign and I don't care. I need to do this. I love Him. If God is the focus... And his will becomes your will. Enemies and detractors become. Here's a good word. Ah, I should. I just thought of a better word when I said this. Ah. What I have written is they will become irrelevant. But there's a new term, and it's within the woke and CRT movement. Does anybody know what that's called? What's that? Canceled. I will tell you, when sovereignty of God depicts how you live, your enemies become canceled. They do. They are irrelevant. So then he, Nehemiah assesses the damage we find, prepares to what? After he ex- assesses the damage, what does he prepare to do? Let's see if I there's a verse to help you get there. I don't see it right now. Uh, He prepares to work. He prepares to work. It's not hard to assess the damage in the world today, is it? But do we have a mind to be used by God and to make a difference? Do we have a mind to work? It takes work. Should we be praying and fasting? Absolutely. Does fasting take work in this billboard, whopper, saturated world? Absolutely. Fasting and prayer. That's what Nehemiah did. But do we have the mind to make a difference to work? We hate the idea of school kids, male and female, sharing the bathrooms. We hate the idea of drag queens are reading in our To our children in the libraries, we think our only recourse is to vote and to picket. Well, I can tell you this. You should vote because that you should do. That's just a given. Picketing, you've got something greater than that. Give the gospel, amen. Share the gospel. And maybe, maybe we should pray and volunteer to read Pilgrim's Progress in the library. Let's not just get all mad and huffy, and, and but do something about it. Could you imagine sitting, and it I, I probably is there, go in there and pull off the Pilgrim's Progress out of the thing and sit down and read them what God did with, with John Bunyan's. Did anybody know Pilgrim's Progress? What was that on his back? His burden fell off. Now, wouldn't that be cool? How many understand? Do something. Read God's Word. Pray and serve our neighbor that has a hard time with life right now. Sit down with them. Have them over for dinner. Love on them. Amen? Yeah, we should pray. We should fast. But we also need to work and participate. Now, the problem with this is there are going to be people that push back on that and say, oh, you're talking about the social gospel. So you must be a social gospel guy. You know what? Here's the reality. You cannot. You ca- I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. To you is the kingdom. Does that sound like the social gospel to you? You see, true salvation produces true godly work. Amen? You can't separate them. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we're in? that Jerusalem is desolate, its gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Why are they building the wall? According to that verse, what is the reason that they are building the wall? The text says no longer be a reproach. Does that mean they will not be an embarrassment to the world? Yes or no? Absolutely. It's not about them so we'll be safe. So our, our, our temple won't be broken down. No, they say, according to the text, it's so that we will not be a reproach to God's name. Here's the. This is so big. This, is, this could be preached for an hour and a half. You ready? So big. The way you work in your job full-time outside of the church and in the church, either way, doesn't matter. Whatever full-time job you would do, when you do a lazy job, when you do a bad job, you are reproaching the name of God. Do we get that? That's exactly what we're doing. Some people say, well, 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 I I go to this job, God put me in this job so I can evangelize all the employees during work time. No, he did not. He got you to that job so that you would serve God by doing the best you can at that job and not wasting time. Now, give the gospel during break. Yeah. Have your coworker over for coffee at your own time. Have them over for dinner. Give them the gospel. Pray with them. Love them. Help them. I get it. But don't be the guy that everybody looks at and says, oh, that guy's lazy. All he wants to do is talk about God. Now I get it, and that's great. But you need to do your job, amen. Do your job. Do the best we can. Now, people... Usually in these types of things, I'm going to go to another example here. How many have ever been to work days at, at the church? So, many times, work days at the church, this is what happened. I'm not saying it happens here all the time and all that, I'm not saying that. The reality is, oh, um, Garrett, I'll use Garrett because no one hears the name Garrett. Garrett's not here. Ugh. Now what are we going to do? Just we'll sit and have coffee. Because until he works with me, I'm not working. How many get this nonsensical attitude? Nehemiah built the wall. The people of Jerusalem built the wall. Amen. God built the wall in 52 days. And guess what? There were people like the nobles who did not show up to work. And the people did not sit around and complain. Do you know what the people did did? They worked. They worked. Hey, that's their problem. I get to please God today by putting that rock, that rock on top of that rock on top of that rock on top of that rock a thousand times. Woohoo! How many of you would get excited like that? That sounds boring. Right? Unless it's motivated because you love the Lord. I, I tell you what, I, I envision myself being there, and I can see, see all these rocks we find because the enemy said they're burnt, they're chipped, they're broken, they're split. Oh man, it'd be so cool to try to make somebody's face out of the burnt charcoal, right? This rock goes here. Oh, where's another one? Oh, there. And all of a sudden it's fun, right? This is cool. Why? Why does that happen? How many kids sit at their homework and they're diddle? How many know what what I'm talking about? On their paper. Doodle. Doodle, that diddle. <laughs> it's D. Doodle on their paper. Make what are they doing? They're artsy, you know. Here's the reality. Every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God and is creative. Amen. I love building. Cabinets. And there's a lot of drama, let me tell you. <laughs> but I love building cabinets because I can take what God has made and put it together and and, and, and uh, uh, make a piece of art out of a door. And it just, wow, man, God is so awesome. Look at how beautiful that is. That's why the name of my business, the little marquee or Created in beauty, installed with excellence. That should be the heartbeat of every single believer. Amen. In other words, God did all this. Now I am just going to focus on doing the dead level best I can to please Him in it. All right. My notes here, it does not matter if someone else does not show up for work or if, motiv- if the motivation is to please God. If we have other, lesser motivations, then someone not showing up will make a problem because we're not focused on God. <sighs> All right. We are going to end there. How mi- Was there more meat put on the bones of that passage? To see the practical applications that Nehemiah clearly brings, we all need to look at the example Nehemiah brought and realize God does great things when nobodies love him and serve him with everything they have been given by him. Does that make sense? If we can figure that out, man, this world would be different. This church would be different. Our lives would be different. I'm going to leave with this last illustration. My dad and my grandfather and his grandpa, they were very hard workers. That's all they ever did is work, 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 work. I remember my dad giving me responsibilities when he left for work at IBM. How many remember dad giving you responsibilities as he left? get this done well I went there it was like it w- the the specific job was see the big huge dirt trough all the way around the garage that you've been throwing stuff in and I've been throwing stuff in you need to clean that whole thing out before I get back home so I played basketball I went and shot some chipmunks I ate lunch and pretty soon it's 5.30 and Dad's home. And I'm hiding. But mealtime's coming. And I sit down at the table. My dad didn't say a word. I don't even know if he planned this. I have no idea. I never asked him. He takes his soup and he starts spilling his face. Just, it's dripping and just all over him and sloppy I didn't eat a bite I bowed my head wept and left the table I don't think he planned this I really don't what that said to me we're Christians we don't act like slobs We do our best at everything we do for God. And it made an impact on my life forever. The question is, do we? Or is it just a job? Could you imagine if those people that worked for Nehemiah stood there and said, It's just a job, it's break time. We'll take an extended break. We gotta do this, we gotta do that, we gotta have meetings, we gotta No, they worked. Did the best they could and served God. And God was glorified. It's the same with our jobs that we have today. We must learn to work biblically, which is hard and the best we can for Christ's glory. Mr. Gaiman, can you close in a word of prayer, please?